0: Two officers were suspended over their handling of the cases of Lauren Smithfields and Brenda Lee Rawls, who both died in Bridgeport, Connecticut, on the same day. The mayor, Joseph P. Ganim, ordered the suspensions and said in a statement that Detectives Cronin and Janos had showed a lack of sensitivity to the public and a failure to follow police policy in dealing with the grieving families. He went on to say that both cases are active and open criminal cases that are being shown priority at this time. Hey, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver, and I'm here with my sister, co-host, and partner in crime, Christy Brower.
1: Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It is good. You know, I'm excited for uh, tonight, today's whatever day it is show, because uh, as usual, we've got some pretty good info coming your way. We do. Some big breakthroughs happening. This is our Wednesday case. And of yes, course, we'll be back tonight at 7
0: p.m. Mountain Time for case updates. And there are a few and always stuff going on, uh, you know, out in the uh, the crime ethers. So I know right. we'll have plenty to talk about.
1: Oh, you know, we always do. And what I'm loving with this new uh, format that we have is that we're able to like very quickly. Update things because we can mm-hmm. update in a segment. You know, we just have mm-hmm. more, so many more options now that we're basically doing nine cases a week instead yeah. of three, which is just mm-hmm. way cool. Me too. I'm enjoying it, it, it a lot. Me too. Yep. It's so
0: good. Well, with that being said, let's hop into our first segment. I am going to keep the mic here and go ahead and present some DNA for the Wind news. Mm. So this case is 60 plus years in the making. Oh, wow. I'm going to put up a picture here. This adorable little girl is Candy Rogers. Candy Rogers disappeared in Spokane, Washington when she was nine years old. She was out in her neighborhood selling campfire mints, similar to Girl Scout cookies, if you're wondering. Mm -hmm. And it got uh, close to dark and Candy had not come home. And her family was pretty frantic and didn't know, uh, you know, where she could be and started searching and the neighborhood started searching and she didn't come home and the police were called and eventually a bunch of boxes of campfire mints were discovered, kind of scattered down a road and they figured those were probably hers Mm. and the search was on. An Air Force, local Air Force base, joined the search. And unfortunately, the day after she disappeared, a helicopter crew that was helping search the area ran into a high-tension power line and crashed into the Spokane River and killed two airmen. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, while they were searching for her. Yeah. This all happened, by the way, in 1959, in March of 1959. Okay. So, eventually, after over weeks of searching, there were two airmen who were out hunting in the woods off of a place called Old Trails Road, which was about seven miles from Candy's house, and they found a pair of little girl's shoes in the woods, which they thought was kind of weird, and it occurred to them, oh, we have a missing little girl in the area, perhaps they're hers. Mm
1: -hmm. So,
0: they reported it. And the next morning, a search party descended on the area, and it only took a few minutes to find Candy. Oh, dear. And she was buried under a shallow layer of brush and pine needles, and it was a huge and horrible thing. Again, she was nine years old. She had been raped and strangled with a piece of her clothing. And the community was shocked and scared and angry and they had really come together to search for her. Law enforcement had worked so hard and they worked so hard to try to solve her case. They had thousands of tips that they poured through and Candy's case has always been on the back burner. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, recently when it was closed and I'll tell you all about it, uh, one of the people that was finally in charge of closing it said, you know, this isn't uh, we don't count this case by the number of years. We count it by the number of careers because that it's been whole careers of detectives that have worked this case. So here's what happened. When they detailed and cataloged the evidence, they had a lot of vision We've seen this a bunch of times. It's amazing mm. to me that they had the vision they did to save the items that they saved and to save them in a way that DNA was preserved. And they saved items that had semen on them. Wow! And so, you know, move forward, you know, into the two thousands, and here we have the tech, right? Yeah. So early in twenty twenty one the Spokane Police Department investigators started working with a crime lab uh, in Washington state. And they started working with a DNA testing method that was offered by a lab in Texas. And that Texas took a semen sample from Candy's clothes and they put it into a genealogical database. And you guys know the rest. They built a reverse family tree. They narrowed it down to three brothers one of the possible matches was a man named John Ray Hoff. He was the only one who had offspring. So they, this was the lead, but it wasn't, they wanted to be absolutely sure. So they found his daughter. And when they told her what they were looking for, she immediately met with detectives, gave them a sample of her DNA. She was completely cooperative and amazing. Wow. And the DNA, Matched. It showed that it was 2.9 million times more likely that it was, that she was the daughter of the carrier of the semen. Wow. But still, they had big evidence now, but they still wanted to be sure. He's dead and has been for a long time, but they wanted to be absolutely certain. So they exhumed his body.
1: Wow. Second mm-hmm. time we've heard that story this week.
0: Yes, they exhumed his body and went ahead and did a DNA test. And that DNA came back, indicating that it was 25 quintillion times likely that this sample came from John Rayhoff. Wow. Yep. So they have their perp. So here's what we know about John Rayhoff. He was 20 years old at the time of Candy's murder. He grew up in Spokane and he resided about a mile from her house. Oh, wow. Yep. He entered the Army at 17 and was stationed at missile sites surrounding Fairchild Air Force Base. He was back in the area at the time that she was killed. In 1961, two years after she was murdered, he was convicted of assault in the second degree with an intent to rob. In that incident, he accosted a woman, stripped her naked, tied her up, Strangled her using her own clothing. Uh, apparently, didn't assault, sexually assault her, uh, according to this article. And but she lived. Wow. And he was convicted. But, like and spent,
1: very similar mo. Very similar. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Uh, he spent six months in jail for that attack. Uh, because of that, uh, he was declared a deserter from the army and was discharged. So, he worked as a door-to-door salesman and a lumberyard worker. And um, when he was...
1: Door-to-door salesman? Yeah. How many
0: other crimes did this guy commit?
1: Right. Except for that,
0: in 1970, so 11 years after Candy died, he killed himself.
1: Oh, wow.
0: But this, you still have to ask, how many women did this man assault yeah. or, or murder?
1: Yeah. More children. Yep. Yep.
0: So it's been 62 years in the making to finally solve this case, but they finally did it.
1: That's amazing. Yep. So there you go. DNA for the win. The daughter must have had some idea. She
0: must have because she was real quick to show up with DNA and help them. She knew he was. She couldn't have been very old when her dad died. No, but she probably heard stories. Probably so. Yeah. Yeah. So for our main case tonight, we already covered Lauren Smithfields, but when we did, there was a little less to go on. We just knew that there was some BS going down and we wanted her case to get more attention. Well, it's got it. Mm -hmm. And that uncovered a second case that's closely related to Lauren's in some ways. Yeah, And so we wanted to cover both of them. So, Christy's going to give us a review of Lauren's case with the new and updated info. It's very important. And then I'm going to talk about the other victim, Brenda Lee Rawls. And we'll kind of tie them both together and tell you guys what's going on with these cases and with this police department. And it is
1: wild. Yeah, it it really is. So. And one of the things to note is that so in our original coverage of Lauren Smithfield's case, some of the information that we reported was inaccurate, and that is because that's all that was out there. Yeah, and so we're gonna uh, set the record a little bit straight on her mm-hmm. and and kind of what happened. So Lauren Smithfield was 23, and she died in her apartment in Connecticut in December of last year, and this was after. Uh, She had had a date with a man that she met on Bumble. So a lot of things went very wrong. This was, um, so Chantel Fields is Lauren Smithfield's mother. And she hadn't heard from her daughter all day on the 13th of December. And she was a little concerned about her. She had texted her, you know. Asked her, like, hey, are you okay? Let me know. No answer. So that evening, she and her son went to Lauren's apartment, and there was a note on the door. And the note said, if you're looking for Lauren, call this number. Um, so they called the number. And the landlord came. And told them that she had died. She had been found dead in her apartment the day before. Mm-hmm. The police, the Bridgeport Police Department never notified her family. They left that up to her landlord, which just is insane. And they had her ID, her phone, everything. Yeah, they knew. They, they, they could have easily found who to notify. Mm-hmm. So the landlord gave them the number for the detective that was uh, supposedly on the case. Uh, they talked to the detective, got very little information other than she had been on a date with an older man before she died. And another time when they tried to talk to this guy, she, they just the detective hung up on them. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of evidence had been left in the apartment. Like, not all of the forensic stuff. They hadn't really sent forensics through there to take evidence. And the, the family just begged the police, please come, you know, take the rest of this stuff make find this guy, right? So, we know that the police said that they had talked to him and that they didn't need to worry about him because he was a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. So, apparently... He had been there with her when she died. And he had spoke to authorities and was there when she was pronounced dead. Police wouldn't even say if he's been taken in for questioning. We still don't know this guy's name. No. They are protecting his name. Mm -hmm. And yet he was present during her death. It's, it's totally crazy. Mm -hmm. So her cause of death has now been ruled an accidental drug overdose with fentanyl, hydroxyzine and promethazine in her blood.
0: As well as alcohol. As well as
1: alcohol. Um, A lot of people are calling foul on that because that's quite a cocktail uh, of a, you know, could be like a date rape kind of. Mm -hmm. drug the hydroxyzine it it makes you sleepy so does the promethazine and then of course fentanyl does Mm -hmm. and alcohol
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um after a lot of work on lauren's family's part the mayor got involved that's mayor ganim Mm -hmm. and he had you know made a statement that he was very unhappy with how it had been her case was being handled and that it was being investigated by uh, internal affairs. That at the very least the death notification should have been done by the police. And they just didn't even care to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot going on right now. They have agreed to, you know, I don't know, actually look into the guy who was present mm-hmm. when she died and yeah, well the mayor now says as of like
0: yesterday that these her case is being treated as an active criminal investigation. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it took six weeks,
1: you guys. Six weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks of the family fighting hard and going to like city city and mm-hmm.
0: uh
1: the mayor and you know and the press. Yeah. And this, you know, has been talked about as far as like missing white woman syndrome that um Lauren Smith fields was black and the man apparently she was on her date with is white. So there are some real questions about what the hell is going on here. You know, that this was not treated seriously as though it Mm should have, you know, as it should have been. Certainly. Yeah. um, Here's kind of what he, what they say he said So on, he's, he's 37 and white. Mm -hmm. He came to her apartment on December 11th. He says they ate food, drank tequila with mixers, played games, and then watched a movie. She, he says that she went outside at one point to meet her brother and then went back and then came back in and went to the bathroom for 10 to 15 minutes. This is implying drug use. Mm Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean any of this happened, but this no. is what he's implying. Um, he said they continued to watch the movie and then she fell asleep on the couch and he carried her to her bedroom and that he fell asleep beside her. Um, and that when he woke up at 3 a.m. to go to the bathroom, she was asleep and snoring. But when he woke up again at 630, she was lying on her right side blood was coming out of her right nostril and she was not breathing and that's when he called 911. Mm -hmm. When the police came, uh, the responding officer anyway, says that she was actually laying on the floor on her back and that she wasn't bleeding and she had dried blood in and around her right nostril. Yeah, so... There's a lot more to be said about this, I think, going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, one thing to be said is that Lauren Smith Fields has no history of drug use. Right. Right. She was an athlete all through high school Mm -hmm. and is now in college. And that she's passed many, many drug tests Mm -hmm. and that there were some real concerns there Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, that she has no history of drug use and so to have an overdose of fentanyl like that very out of character for her yeah plus uh, you know hydroxyzine is an antihistamine mm-hmm. promethazine is an anti nausea medication fentanyl we know is a you know synthetic opioid painkiller and then alcohol oh i don't know why anyone would be taking All of those things. All of those meds. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's where we're at with the Lauren Smith Fields case. Okay. So it's definitely getting attention and, you know, hopefully we're going to see more happen. But it has taken some serious work to get any attention on this case.
0: Well, it is yet again, families being, finding themselves in the position of having to beg, beg. For yeah. their family members' deaths to be investigated. It's ridiculous. We're, we're just hearing this way too freaking much. It's insane. Yeah, it is. So, with that being said, I want to introduce you to Brenda Lee Rawls. So, Brenda I uh, was 53 years old. And on December 12th, and, you know, if you're doing the math, that is the same day. That Lauren Smithfield's disappeared or died. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to put her picture up one more time because we haven't seen much of her.
1: No. And
0: we've heard quite a bit about Lauren and her family has been desperately trying to get her story out there as well. So I want you guys to see her face one more time here. So this is the lovely Brenda. So Brenda was going to hang out down the street with a man that she knew, somebody that her family at least knew. Well enough to know where he lived Mm -hmm. Uh, on the 11th. So she said she would planned to go hang out at his house. And then on December 12th, they could not get a hold of her. And on December 13th, they couldn't get a hold of her, which just didn't make any sense. This was a really close family that spent all of their time together. And she was nowhere to be found, not answering the phone, nothing. So they went to her house and she was not there. So uh, two of her sisters and her niece and her niece's boyfriend walked down to the man's house that they knew and asked him uh, if if he'd seen her. And he said, well, yeah, yesterday uh, she didn't wake up in the morning. I couldn't wake her and I called 911 and she died. What nobody hell? let them know. Her sister said, nobody ever notified us that she died. We had to do our own investigation and find out where she was. My God. What is
1: going on? The man
0: handed them her clothes and her shoes. The police didn't even take those things. Didn't even take any, like, evidence. They left them. And that's one of the things that really bothered her family because they felt like, How does a 53-year-old just die and no one is notified and there's no conversation and her things are just left at uh, some random man's house? Like, how is this happening? Right. So her family says they left a series of frantic phone calls to the police and they were told repeatedly that we can't help you. They were treating Brenda basically like a Jane Doe, only she wasn't.
1: No. No. So, well, then we can't help you. What the hell does that mean? She right. died. No one told them. Where yeah. is her body? Under what circumstances did she die? Like, oh, my yeah.
0: God. Like, all of these things. And they are treating them like they don't have to tell them anything. <laughs> and, of course, they are just uh, all furious. Shit. Yeah. So... They finally find her body at the medical examiner's office on December 14th. They literally wouldn't tell them where her body was. They called, at least, like I said repeatedly, they called all the area hospitals, they called local funeral homes. Nobody had any, you know, help for them. Finally, they found her at the ME on December 14th.
1: How cruel can you get? Apparently pretty damn cruel. So then they learned that the detective
0: on her case, that apparently there is one, is Angel, you guys, it's L-L-A-N-O-S, which to me is Yanos, I hope that's correct, Uh, had been assigned to her case. They left him four messages that went completely unreturned. And they have had to just make noise wherever they could because nobody wants to talk to them.
1: Oh my god.
0: And then, of course, they learned about Lauren Smith-Fields and discovered these two women died on the same day. And the two detectives, Cronin and Janos, both were working together on both of these cases and were completely
1: doing uh, nothing.
0: hurting both families. Yep. Nothing. Oh doing nothing and not giving these families any kind of uh, answers and refusing to talk to them, essentially.
1: Yeah. Oh my God.
0: We don't know that Brenda's death was a crime. We don't know anything. Right. Now that the mayor has finally gotten involved, now it has become an open, active investigation. And they're saying that they will have uh, an autopsy report for them here in the next few weeks. It has been six weeks. Yeah. It has been six weeks and that hasn't been provided to them
1: yet. Well, and I mean, her body was at the medical examiner's office, so they must have done at least a cursory. Some Something some been happening, but this or why sure didn't they know send it? her to a funeral home? You know, right. like there had to have been been at least some kind of review. Yeah. Well, now they're
0: telling them that there are new detectives assigned to their case, assigned to both cases, and that they're going to work on it. It turns out this uh, police department is no stranger to scandals and bullshit. Yeah. In April of 2021, their then captain was fired and then convicted of a fraud because he had found a way to skew the system to make sure that he was the captain. Oh my gosh sounds like there's been a lot of problems. So I wanted to share a few Facebook comments that I found that I thought were interesting. And don't come at me. I know they're just Facebook comments. I'm not saying they're truth in fact. Well, However, these
1: detectives are suspended right now, aren't Oh, yes. They? The
0: officers are suspended. Also, their CO retired
1: abruptly. Uh mm-hmm. huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But. Get out of jail free card there. Mm-hmm.
0: There is a reporter named Frank Riccia, who is uh, a journalist in the area, and he has been covering this case really extensively uh, and really helped to make the noise needed in order for the mayor to decide that he was going to have to get involved and do something. Sure. So I was looking at some of his articles, uh, some of his posts on Facebook of his articles, and I found some comments that I thought were. Very telling. Mm. This lady says, Bridgeport police never called or even bothered looking for my mom's children. On the police report, he wrote down that he knew who my mother was and that he saw her all the time. So if he did do that, he should have known that she had three daughters and grandchildren because we were always together. It also says that she was transferred to BPT Hospital, where she was pronounced dead. They also failed to call me or my sisters, and we are on her emergency list. my god. Yep. What happened to calling a family or next of kin when stuff like this happens? Not Not the hospital, who also gave us the runaround like we were maniacs. Instead of telling us that she was dead on arrival that day, they told us they couldn't help us to try again the next day. What? And yeah, this family went through something very similar.
1: Yep. Oh my God. They
0: ended up hunting through Bridgeport for three days, going to every funeral home, hospital, everywhere they could think of to try to uh, find her so that they could identify her.
1: She said it seemed like they wanted to keep her mom as a Jane Doe. Isn't that wild? That is wild. What the hell are they doing with their Jane Doe's? Right. And this. My son was shot
0: multiple times on his graduation day 11 years ago. He was 17. The police never spoke to us about it. Wow. Uh, my 24-year-old was killed sitting in a car by a man shooting after another person, and I did not get a visit or interview by the Bridgeport Police and this person, someone's daughter's mother last year was shot in the face while pregnant and sitting in a car last year. We still have not heard from the Bridgeport police. Wow. What the hell is going on?
1: What the hell is going on with the Bridgeport police?
0: hmm Yep. So I'm glad that the mayor's involved, but suspensions aren't just suspensions. They're not firings. And we don't know if they are with pay or without. Right. All we know is that these two are now, you know, sitting it out for a while while they take a look at these cases. But here is what I anticipate. Just reading through these comments and lots of others on on other articles in the Bridgeport area, these stories are going to start flooding in. Now, there's one Mm -hmm. attorney that's representing both families. So there's one person that's, you know, their office is on the ball with both of these families. I'm guessing that attorney is going to be inundated. By people saying, happen to us too. And we're going to see a whole bunch of stuff roll out here. That's what I suspect is going to happen. You know what I'm sick of? I know wonderful police officers. I am so tired of the entire occupation looking like shit because of this kind of stuff. I'm so ready for us to weed out the trash and the corruption and the bullshit So that good people that are just trying to do their jobs can just do that. And that we can somehow start fixing
1: the public relationship with the police. Because this is terrible stuff. Terrible stuff. It is. But, you know, the the hard part is, is that we know that even officers that are good officers are looking the other way. Right. When it comes to shit like this. Mm -hmm. And that's where... That attitude toward police comes from is that mm-hmm. even if you're not doing it yourself, if you're working in a system that is you're complicit. Yeah. If you're yeah. not right, you know, blowing the whistle, you which bet. I know is hard and I don't want to get into that whole conversation, but it right. is because hard it because yourself is
0: can become very dangerous and right, you know, it's it's a mess. It is. So, but I think this whole situation just really shines the light on the fact that uh We need some changes, some really positive ones. And this is a really hard one. I cannot fathom the police not contacting the next of kin of women that have died. I just can't. can't either. In
1: my wildest dreams, imagine that. It's sick and cruel. And it implies that they are less than human, that they don't deserve that respect Mm -hmm. and that dignity. Yeah. It's really fucked up. It's terrible.
0: On the part of Brenda Lee Rawls that they wouldn't tell them where her body was. What? Yeah. that they, they have every right to know that. Of Why would you not tell them?
1: Yeah. Of course they do.
0: So I it was... does beg the question, what are they doing with Jane Doe's?
1: Right? Does it make you wonder? Like, yeah. how big is this? What else is going on? Mm-hmm. Yikes. Mm-hmm. And so, well, as I'm
0: sure you can tell, we're going to keep our finger on this and <laughs> continue to follow it. Uh, and we're very, very glad for the Rawls and the Smithfields families that they're finally getting some traction. Yes. Six weeks is a long time to try to fight, to Way just find long. out what happened.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Well, we need to know if this is foul play. Then there are murderers about, you know, like, hello, how about protecting the public here? Mm -hmm. How about doing your due diligence?
0: Yeah, Uh, entirely. So, Christy, I am going to turn the mic back to you for some WTF crime.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I have a question for you do you have any idea how to know if you're going to be attacked by someone with a machete <laughs> i'm thinking if they have a machete you might have an inkling but i don't well, know go ahead something even before that hmm. if you look like this guy justin couch <laughs> and you have a machete <laughs> tattooed on your freaking face That's your first clue. You should probably stay away from this guy. Stay out of machete range if he's got a tattoo (laughs) of a machete on his face. Why? Who does these tattoos? Why? Uh, Right? So one night there was a party at a house with quite a few people. And someone who lives in that house arrived home and got into some kind of an argument with Justin Couch, who was there attending the party. Uh these two men went outside, I guess, to have their argument. Only uh for <laughs> Justin Couch to pull out a freaking machete and start threatening the guy with it. Wow. He uh was like hitting this guy on the arm and the leg with the flat side of the machete blade, you know? Mm-hmm. I guess just testing it out. And then the shots. situation yeah. escalated, and he swung for the victim's face. The man held up his arm to block it, and he hit it, and he cut him with the uh, machete. Uh, apparently, the victim... Ve- <laughs> this is a quote from the sheriff's office. The victim felt severe pain and then passed out. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, I guess after coming to, uh, the victim... Tracked couch down, um, and uh, they got a hold of him and they also um, took the victim to the hospital where he had a pretty significant injury. Well, and he, as, as machetes couched, do, as machetes do, and he was charged with aggravated battery and is being held on a ten thousand dollar bond. So, if you see it's somebody with a machete out. on their face, just Keep walking. Mm -hmm. That's what I've learned from this story.
0: Or really any odd object. Machete, potato peeler, whatever. Just that's a hard Anything with a blade tattooed on a
1: face. Yeah. Walk the other way. (laughs) Any blade at all. Yeah. Yes. How crazy. (laughs) People
0: are crazy. And this is a Florida man, correct? It is. Yeah. We really do love you, Florida. But what in the hell is going on with your men? It is. It's not
1: just your men. It's a valid question.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody will tell us
1: in the comments. Maybe we'd love assaults. I don't know. Is that what it is? Assault, I've always maybe. thought it was because the weather's so hot. Because violent crime actually goes up when the temperature goes up. Mm-hmm. You get heat True. over a hundred. Violent crime, like, well, I think it's not not even over a hundred. It's lower than that, but it can become a real dangerous time because people are so irritable and irritated and the tempers get real short and I've always thought maybe that's it with Florida maybe Maybe. it's the Gators I don't know maybe it's Swamp Ass I've heard about Swamp Ass it might be Swamp Ass (laughs) I've heard of that too
0: yeah I don't don't know know. that is not true for the opposite when it gets really really cold uh crime does not go up why
1: because we're all bundled up in our houses trying to stay alive You and go or outside because and commit still. a bunch of crimes in the cold, that's for sure.
0: But if you do, uh, if you're out there, you're so bundled up that a machete probably wouldn't touch you anyway.
1: Well, that's true. You, you don't want to leave any tracks in your the snow. That's suit.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Truth.
0: Oh, that's wild. Well, that is our episode, you guys. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, curious to hear your thoughts on yes. Smithfields and as well as. Brenda Lee Rawls, uh, what do you guys think? What do you think happened? What do you think about this happening the way it did? I'm curious to know if uh, it, you know if anyone thinks it's an overreaction, or if you think that this is mishandled, or you know, where where are your thoughts? Give us your best uh, theories on this one, and we'll be back tonight at 7 p.m. Mountain for case updates, and then we'll be back tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Mountain for the Psychic Hour. So we we still have lots of good stuff to come this week. You have been listening to yet another edition of True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Take care. Bye, everybody.
1: Well, okay.